Welcome to my first podcast episode. In this episode, I interview Professor Carlos Lange from the University of Alberta. He's an expert in space exploration and has worked on the Phoenix rover on Mars. Enjoy. So, like, what is, like, the relative size of the rover? Like, what is something we could compare it to? Um, did you know a Mini Cooper? It's not an American yeah. car, but it's a... <laughs> So it's about that size. Uh, I'm sure uh, there are other cards similar to that, but that's the most iconic. Um, so that's in terms of dimensions. Um, it's tall, though. Instead of being something sitting close to the ground, I think the top of the Mini Cooper will be more or less the top of the, the uh, where the body would sit. So it kind of lifts that mm. big distance from the ground. Um, so that it can go over rocks and um, other type of terrain. And also, if you remember, it carried the helicopter in the belly. So it needed that distance from the ground so it could drop uh, the helicopter. So it's much taller, but the, if you think the body um, weighs about a ton, um, which is about the, the, the weight of, uh, of the car as well, and the body is about that size. So big. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it packs a lot of things in there, right? Including its own power plant. So it does not depend on solar power. Oh. Hey, because the other rover, I think, Curiosity, like the dust got on the solar panels? Uh, no. And, uh, this one is based on the same principle, and uh, uh, Curiosity also does not have uh, solar panels. Um, the back yeah, part, this lifted that. tail, if you look at at pictures of it. That lifted tail is actually a uh, um, nuclear battery. <laughs> wow. So they have uh, um, a fission material there. I don't remember what it is now, but it's basically a mini, mini nuclear reactor that does not produce, so it's, it's the objective is to produce electricity directly from the heat of the radiation. And that's why it has the vents. It has to uh, dissipate the heat. But it's a battery that will last decades. Um, and that's why it can go much farther than uh, the, the mini uh, rovers. Um, opportunity and, uh, uh, <laughs> and the name is escaping me now. But the other two small rovers, they depended on uh, solar panels to charge their batteries. So in the winter, they almost couldn't move because there was very little sun. And uh, in the summer, then they could move further. But when dust accumulated, they basically had to wait until a gust of wind cleaned up their solar panels and they could move. Um, the mission Phoenix, which I participated uh, in 2008, also had solar panels, um, wide panels uh, beside the lander there and very similar to the current mission now this mission is investigating the, the um, earthquakes and uh, on mars they also have these big solar panels but it's not a rover it's a static uh, uh, lander that stays put and instead of moving around it's actually moving inwards into the ground and trying to hear listen to the sounds of earthquakes inside. Those missions depend on sun and they weaken when the dust accumulates or as in the case of Phoenix, we went very close to the North Pole 
And when the winter came, or actually the fall, there was so little sun that psh, the batteries died out, and that's how it died. So um, it, this is a good thing that these big rovers don't depend on solar power. They can go much further and yeah. continue traveling in the winter. Hmm. Uh, like, why did it take, like, many months just to reach, like, Mars? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Um, the the uh, planets, Earth and Mars, keep rotating around the sun, right? Yeah. So you can't take a rocket and sh shoot directly into Mars <laughs> because the amount of energy that would take to accelerate and sh cover the distance, which are about 12 million kilometers uh, very quickly, it doesn't exist. And also the acceleration could kill you. So that's um, the only way to do is to get off the earth and start circling the sun and then accelerating so that, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, going towards Mars, um, going outer and outer uh, from the sun. So you have to accelerate for that, away away from the sun, and then go in the same distance from the sun that Mars is. If you pick uh, the wrong time, <laughs> because Mars and Earth are going like that, Every two years, Mars and Earth pass about the same uh, place in the sun or same uh, angle to okay. the sun uh, as, as each other. And then the Earth, because it has a much uh, near orbit to the sun, has oh, it goes the circle in one year. Mars takes almost two years to do the whole orbit, okay? So the Earth goes faster in that angle-wise, not faster in, in, in speed, but angle-wise. So it goes around, and Mars is still doing one half uh, of the orbit, and then the, sun, the Earth goes another time, and then they are more or less at the same angle to the Sun. If your rocket just shoot out from this, the Earth and tries to chase Mars, it can take years. <laughs> <laughs> because Mars is moving, and you're like, I'm going after Mars. Yeah. So what they do, they wait for just before Mars passes together with the Earth at the same angle from the sun, and then they shoot the rocket. And then the rocket starts going away from the sun towards the Mars, Mars orbit. And if you time it just right, so that's why the, the uh, orbiters, the, uh, the mission scientists calculate the trajectory, then by the time you reach the distance from the sun, which is the Mars orbit, Mars is just passing by and you hit it. Uh, and that takes about six to eight months, okay? That trajectory um, and is the shortest amount of time because then by the time you arrive at that distance, Mars is already there. You get into orbit or you land on Mars. You don't need to chase it. But the, dif the difficulty of this method is that the next time you can do the same thing is two years later when Mars comes back and it's the same angle to the uh, sun as the Earth. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a lot better than chasing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, how did it land when it got in Mars's atmosphere? So when you get away from the Earth, you need to use rockets to accelerate and move faster and faster so you can, your orbit can increase, right? Mm -hmm. And then you um, move towards Mars. 
and then you accelerate a little bit more to correct your your trajectory then you accelerate a little bit more just to make sure you don't miss mars by uh, calculations and adjustments mm -hmm. and by the time you encounter mars you're going pretty fast as a spacecraft so you can slow down a little bit but at that time you don't have much rocket fuel left so the method they use nowadays is they get close enough to mars that the atmosphere produces a lot of resistance so you enter the atmosphere and your spacecraft is like a meteorite <laughs> shining in the night sky and basically producing a lot of heat and slowing down why doesn't it burn up because they have this heat shield like the, the um, apollo mission uh, or the, the uh, dragon spacecraft has or the shuttle also had right Perfect. so um, there is a protection that actually glows with the heat but it's designed to to do that and protects everything that's behind it so the spacecraft is safe and that thing is at five thousand degrees or something like that Mm. And oh, so burns goes um, into the atmosphere and do, during this friction with the atmosphere, it slows down a lot. When it's slowed down enough, it's still too fast. It would crash and landing like nothing, like uh, you, you can't survive that crash landing. But it's already slowed down so much that parachutes would not rip off and be destroyed. So what it does, it sends out parachutes. And now the parachutes actually slow it down much more. And then it can get rid of that heat shield and starts go approaching the, the landing zone. And when it approaches the landing zone, the old landers, they just powered land, either with bouncing bags uh, that allowed it to arrive at a high speed um, and then bounce in the atmosphere until it stands still, and then you deflate the bags, and you can start roving those small rovers. You cannot have more than uh, a small rover in there, otherwise the bags blow up. <clears throat> um, right. Spirit. That was the name I was missing. Spirit and opportunity. So at the moment they wanted to send these bigger um, landers, you need basically a rocket to slow it down, similar to what SpaceX does with their boosters coming back. Slow it down so you don't crash. That's how Phoenix landed, with rockets and then stand still. But Phoenix still kind of hit very hard uh, in the ground when it landed, so it had legs with strong springs to absorb the shock. Um, same is what uh, happening with the, the that mission uh, studying the uh, um, earthquakes or Mars quakes. With curiosity, the, you want the legs to basically drive it. They are fragile. You can't land very hard on it because it would crash the legs. So instead of just using uh, rockets inside and letting it land hard, it has a crane on top of it with rockets and then the crane stabilizes and with cables it descends and deposits the rover much more gently on the ground 
and then the crane separates and moves out. There is a very nice video done by the uh, rover itself of that operation, and you should watch it in the mission uh, uh, website. Because then the, the crane moves away and the rover is safely and gently placed on the surface. This was done uh, for the first time with uh, Curiosity and now second time successfully with Perseverance. Hmm. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, this is immense engineering accomplishment, I would say. Hmm. So um, these missions challenge us, like engineers like myself, um, to, to find solutions to problems that we usually don't have as hard here on Earth. And that's one of the main benefits to our day-to-day -day life of space exploration, is that we're forced to solve problems that don't appear usually here. Mm. So we solve them for space. And later we find that many situations like... Um, um, a GPS, a Teflon for non-sticking material, and other inventions that were necessary for space have a nice good use here on Earth and make our life safer, um, easier, or even help us fight uh, disease with the things we have to invent for those challenging um, situations. And this is one of the indirect benefits we all get from solving problems that are needed for these missions to space. Hmm. All right. uh, what is like the main objective like of the Perseverance rover? There is a main objective and it's, it's different from the previous one. So and the Phoenix mission and the initial Curiosity mission, they were looking for signs of water on Mars and signs of environments that could have uh, um, sustained life, so habitable environments on Mars. Hmm. And they discovered that Mars conditions could have sustained life and that there is water under the surface um, on Mars. There was much more water in the old past of Mars. So this is established. What Perseverance now is looking is the next stage. Um, can we find actual signs that there was life on Mars uh, in the past? Mm -hmm. It's such a hard thing to do yeah. that um, scientists mostly don't expect Perseverance to actually turn a rock and find a, a fossil or something like that. It's mm -hmm. very difficult. So instead, what they will use Perseverance for is to collect places, rocks, um, dirt from places where if there is a tiny sign of a microbe or something like that, mm. that needs to be really, really carefully investigated. Perseverance will put it in a small canister, very well protected canister and deposit it there. And then go for another place where, well, because we know now much better because of the previous missions, the conditions on Mars, this region here used to be the lake of a bed. And if there were tiny microbes in that lake, 
they would have died and deposited here and maybe they left a little bit of a trace of something. This would be the place. Now to study that, you need a big laboratory at university or something like that. You can't carry this to Mars. Yeah. But Perseverance will go and put that little bit of dirt into a canister, close it and move to the next one. A few years from now, not many, there will be another mission that's called Sample Return Mission. There'll be another rover that goes around and collects all those canisters and there will be a rocket on the surface of Mars, similar to the Martian, if you want, where yeah. the rocket was there, prepared, fueled and so on. And that rocket will go first to an orbiter around Mars, rendezvous, pass the canisters on, and then that one brings them back to the Earth, and we will have actual samples from Mars that my colleague Chris Hurd um, from Geo Geology, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, can then study in his laboratory and see what type of signs from the past are there, are there small traces from ancient microbes or something like that? Because here on Earth, they have these huge equipments that they can use. And that's the main objective of uh, Perseverance. Do this next step in our search for life on Mars, if there ever was any, in order to bring these samples back. It will collect the samples for our next mission. Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. Um, so there's like that little helicopter ingenuity. Oh, another marvel of engineering. Yeah. The air on Mars is very thin. Hmm. It's like the air even higher than the top of Mount Everest. So where the airplanes fly, which is uh, one or two kilometers above that, um, and the airplanes fly in that altitude for a reason. Because the air is much thinner there, there is less resistance. So they use way less fuel traveling from one continent to the other if they travel at that altitude on Earth. But you couldn't breathe there. It's too thin, right? Mm. And this less air resistance is very good for airplanes, um, but not good if you want to do a helicopter thing. It's not easy, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> So people had questions. So can we uh, um, fly small airplanes or small helicopters on the surface of Mars if there is so little air? So just as a comparison, I don't think a paper airplane would fly in the height where normal airplanes fly. It would just fall because there is not enough air to produce that lift that keeps the paper airplane up. So the helicopter had to be modified. And it speeds its uh, uh, blades much faster than a drone here on Earth. Mm. The, blade had to, the blades had to be designed using computational fluid dynamics, which is my specialty, um, to be much more efficient and move much more air than a, a drone helicopter here. And it was still a question, because you can test it in the... Um, wind tunnel, Mars wind tunnel, or Mars um, uh, hangar that NASA has, but you don't know if the reality on the surface with dust, with everything else, with a little bit of wind, if that will work. So um, when they sent it and tested it this past week, it was a marvelous achievement. 
the mm. fact that you can actually make it fly. Lots of people were doubting and saying it's not possible. And I'm super happy that they were able to achieve that accomplishment. It's nice. Now they know how to do it. So they mm. can design these drones to explore Mars in places where it would be too dangerous for a rover to go, a steep slope or a hole in the ground or something like that. You can just send the drone, the helicopter, come back. Oh, we have pictures. We know what's in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, drone uh, drone travel on Mars, would like it seems like it would be a lot easier than a rover. Now, um, you can't put the whole uh, nuclear battery on the mm. drone. So you, the drone will always be easily here on Earth. So the, the battery has to be small so it can fly. So you can nicely fly half an hour and take a picture of your home or something. And then you have to bring it back and wait a few hours for it to load. Whereas the, the rover is big enough and has this powerful battery and can keep traveling, right? Mm. So there... And can carry all the instruments as well. You cannot put all the instruments in the drone. So there will be this uh, need for both, I think, um, yeah. where the drone will accomplish certain things the big rover cannot, but it will still depend on the mothership, the big yeah. <laughs> rover to carry the instruments and do the heavy load. Okay. okay. All right. Um, I think that's just about like all the time we have today, but... Uh, it's been very nice talking with you. Yeah, same here. It's nice meeting you. And I hope your um, passion for space exploration motivates you to, to um, pursue one of these careers, which is one uh, question I had for you. So what are your current plans for your career after you, you finish high school? Uh, like I've been thinking about a couple different career paths, like Marine biology, I feel like that would be a pretty cool one. Oh, it is. <laughs> like okay. Ar architect or something. Okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> Two different never... paths. Um, so, so keep uh, pursuing. What I suggest is during um, your, your time in high school, try to um, do some activities related to these two uh, um, potential paths, right? Mm -hmm. And see which one you like most doing and you can imagine yourself doing. Um, you can uh, shadow um, uh, a professional doing marine biology. Uh, if you ever, well, visit the coast and try to connect with one and see what is the career like. And then in terms of architect, you'll find plenty at your uh, hometown. Um, but really, if you take the initiative, they will not go after you. They don't know your interest. But you go there, talk with them, see if you can observe them working and imagine yourself doing that. Usually this helps you decide, look, I can imagine much more doing this uh, the rest of my life than this other one, which it could be a nice hobby for when I, I have time, you know, uh, and that helps you decide because, yeah, it's it's a big decision and I'm... Uh, convinced that you should fo follow your passions. And you could even combine either of the two you can combine with space exploration. Mm. So there is now an active um, work of architects trying to design habitats for space, both mm. on orbit and on the surface of Mars. There was two years ago 
uh, competition from uh, Hewlett-Packard for designs of possible habitats for Mars. And this will continue happening. So an architect that loves space exploration will have work to do mm. in that field as well. Marine biology is a bit harder because um, until we go to Europa, which has an actual big sea and could have even life under the sea, you won't have another planet or moon to explore. But still, the images um, I've seen from deep uh, marine trenches, they are so exhilarating and so new and so unexplored, like the uh, expanse of, of space. And there's still a lot for us to discover in the bottom of the sea. So I think you will feel the same thrill as space explorers if you study that un undiscovered part of the Earth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good luck. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Stay in touch. Bye. Bye.